Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. And welcome to the Heater Podcast. I'm Dan Lewig. He's Corey Peeper. As we had a uh, an extensive week of uh, MLB offseason, I'm glad we finally got to it. Only took half uh, to two-thirds of the offseason to get there. Uh, but the moves, as we said, would be are coming fast and furious. And uh, there are some nine-figure signings that have taken place in this past week, some key trades, uh, teams doing multiple moves, uh, one of your old guard uh, teams that uh, maybe that prediction will come true in the next year uh, yes. with this. So we'll see what happens there. But we're going to dive into all of that. We have also a, a reset, especially after this week. What's left? Like, what's the the talent that's left in the free agent market? We're going to break down the top 10 hitters left in the market, top five starting pitching, and start top five relief pitching. Uh, but before we get into all of that, as always, the... Heater Podcast is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn. For all of your snacking needs for baseball games and movies of choice, come hungry, leave happy. Uh, at least that will be the happy part of the uh, the Super Bowl sale. Uh, so that what you eat will be uh, very uh, bring joy. Uh, maybe not the teams as much. Yeah, we had tons of orders. Started to place. Some people have already came and pick them up. Uh, most of them will be this Friday and Saturday. And like you said, for mostly for Super Bowl parties, and while I usually cheer for Tom Brady a little bit, today was absolutely the green and gold Tom Brady's enjoyed. I enjoyed watching Tom Brady play in nine Super Bowls. I was hoping to keep it to nine, but alas, we can get into it a, a little bit here, I guess, but alas, the Packers did not succeed, whether you want to blame the play calling or the refereeing or whatever, or the fact that they, here's my thing. They went two, three, two picks off Tom Brady, and you can't go three and out in the fourth quarter. The, uh, I guess we're recording this on Sunday night. It's only been about maybe two hours after the Packer game has happened, so everything is extremely fresh. Yeah. Uh, so give me first, give me your one gripe. My one for the Packers. Yeah. Give me, give me the one gripe. The, the how could. You can't, you can't lose a game where you outpossess the team, outgame them in yards, and in the end. You win the turnover battle, and to lose that game can't happen. So my gripe would be, I said, two picks in the fourth quarter. Jair Alexander, you at one point, I believe Tom Brady had thrown four completions to three picks in the second half, Yep. and you had turned it into seven points off that. You can't do that in a playoff game. You have to, especially at home, you have got to take advantage of those turnovers, and they went two, three, and outs, and those are two times when if they go down and score a touchdown, they take the lead. So, yeah, we can sit here and say, you know, Matt LaFleur settled for a field goal, and – I'm going for it on fourth down. Like we'd said before this, I'm going for it on fourth down at the end of that game. You don't take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands and trust your defense, which had been playing well. I get, I get why he did it. I wouldn't do it, but they had two other opportunities to take the lead earlier in that game, and they went three and out and got sacked. Yeah, there's at least three different points in the game that you can point to a major blunder uh, and and make that the big point. You can you can look at the uh, uh, the field goal versus going for it on fourth down. You can look at the, yes, everyone's going to talk with the, the officiating at the end. And, and mm. you're 100% right. The game had been called one way all the way up to that point, and there were, uh, as the uh, reporters uh, pointed out uh, on this, 
there was plain examples on the screen of, of the holding uh, of the holding against Packer receivers. receivers. The exact same thing mm-hmm. that happened at the end of the game. And again, those are going to get the biggest things. The that's what media is going to talk about the most this week. They're going to talk about the decision for the for, the field goal versus the uh, the going for it on fourth down. They're going to talk about the officiating inconsistency. I'm going further back. I'm going to the one that happened at the end of the first half. How could you call that defense? That was a Greg Williams uh, defense uh, at the end. Like, there's only one thing they're trying to do. Like, it has to be an end zone play. Uh, so how you don't have any safety over top, just a, a, the basic prevent defense. That's the one time that I'm fine with prevent Absolutely. defense, uh, and uh, that, and especially against Kevin King. Yeah. Uh, you should have had sa- you always want a safety over a top of wherever he goes in the first place. Uh, so you let them score that seven points at the end. It was a gimme seven points. I mean, between that and the uh, the two point or the two point conversion that wasn't caught that was in hands. Uh, those changed the outcomes of, of games, and uh, I, I find that touchdown uh, issue yeah. more of a concern than I do the fourth qu- the fourth down not going for it. And that that. In all honesty, that play shouldn't have happened either. Will Redmond needs to pick off. Tom Brady throws up a lollipop like two plays before that that needs to be intercepted. You cannot let that go through your hands. But, yeah, you that's un, unfathomably bad coaching to call a zero coverage in that sense and just go one-on-one with, like you said, Kevin King. We, we did our offseason draft podcast. The, the Packers draft a wide receiver. They still lose that game because the receivers play great. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, that, he didn't drop a ball, right? That was great. Yep. It's a fact Kevin King is not – an NFL caliber cornerback at this point. And to me, I go, I very much into the, I'm fine with the Jordan Love pick, not going too far back on things, because ultimately that lit a fire underneath Rodgers behind. uh, And he played at the MVP level after the last couple of years of being more, like a little bit disinterested. Uh, It would be a way of categorizing him, whatever, off the field, finding uh, himself, finding Nirvana stuff going on there. He didn't seem fully clued in. And this was the complete, uh, as he was there himself the other way around when he was drafted, when, when uh, Favre was there, message received, and he produced an MVP-level season. On that alone, I'll take a quarterback every single year if that's what it gets out of my MVP player. Uh, so, again, I, an excellent season, not ending the way you want. Uh, and, of course, there's the, some of the frustration. It's not the loss. It's the way the loss came that yeah. makes this harder to, to digest. I just it's the fact that it's always the NFC Championship game. That's four of them in like the last ten years. It's just get to the Super Bowl once, just to get it again. So, yeah, it's still fresh here. We're we're gonna do baseball here now, but we we feel you, Packers fans. I I feel you. Dan's a Packers. Dan is Packers light over here. At least I'll say. I'm uh when I that's who I'm rooting for when I'm not uh, since my team doesn't that's go right. to the playoffs. We don't believe in it uh, down, in, <laughs> down in South in South Florida, uh, though that might be changing. But there's also quarterback issues there that's going to uh, drive the off season as well. Uh, also for NFC North news, briefly, uh, Matt Stafford is going to be finding a new home uh, within this. That's already out there too, and uh, you have a coach that wants to bust some kneecaps. So uh, it's going to be an exciting off season. Uh, if, in terms of the, the most random press conferences ever, his is right up there. That's that so, one was, that uh, was something else. It's been an interesting sports world week uh, as we shift to uh, uh, to the diamond, and uh, we're gonna grab some some news here. There's also <laughs> an interesting news week uh, with. Uh, I think the New York Mets are now going down in baseball history 
as the only team to ever hire a manager, never to have him actually see an inning of baseball, to hiring a GM that will never see an inning of his team on the field, uh, and back-to-back off-seasons, from the uh, trash can scandal to the uh, texting scandal, uh, you now have Jared Porter fired from the Mets uh, due to harassing texts and lewd texts sent to uh, uh, a female that was not wanting to receive them. Yeah, so that was is back in 2016 for what that's worth, so it's not current, but no means no, man. Like, I don't know what else to say at this point. We've heard it in Brett Favre. We've heard it in other people. If she's not interested or, you know, ladies can do it too. If he's not interested, no means no. No one wants to see that. And it is absolutely right. You have to fire him at that point. You have got to get rid of him. That is, it's, un, it's uncalled for. It's unnecessary. And like they said, zero tolerance. So commendable action by Mets president, Sandy Alderson. He, the second it happened, he, they fired him. Decisive. Decisive. Get rid of it. We heard good things about Jared Porter's character. Well, it, it didn't come to fruition. And so they made the right move. Now, with the right appropriate time moving forward, since that's now out there, I always believe in second chances for uh, for people. So if he shows himself later again, you have a chance to, to redeem and, and move forward as, as things potentially allow. Uh, but uh, I, I'm still going to step back on the Mets organization on this. When you have this happen in back-to-back years, your vetting system isn't good enough. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's number one. Your vetting system isn't good enough. And there's reports out there that uh, they didn't talk to a single female connection female reference within this for even people who've worked with him. Like there is some stuff that was there, like this should have been done. They, they heard something from other sides, like again, from a, uh, a different gender side too. But like, if you knew something was there, wouldn't you at least ask the question? Uh, and they, they didn't do it. So uh, whatever's going on with their, their vetting system for front office and management positions, it needs to change because I don't think you want to go through this in the third off season. Yeah, I didn't see that, but absolutely, you have you have to talk to everyone in this case that has. If you are hiring for someone for to be the leader of your team, you have got to know who this person is inside and out for character reasons. And I said, from everything we heard, it was great. But if if what you said is too that they didn't talk to a single female that he's associated with, that's that's uncalled for. You've got to be there. The uh, this just goes back to again. This is a multi million dollar a billion-dollar organization, and you're hiring one of the second or third in command for the entire thing, at that level, yeah, you have a, you have a full-on uh, uh, private investigator. You have a PI. Dig through everything because guess what? The media will. That's- so you better catch it first and decide whatever that you uncover. Can we live with it or can we not? Uh, and you'd find it out then before you even offer him the job. Like there's in today's day and age where it's so easy to find information, especially with social media, uh, do, do the homework. Uh, this is uh, uh, for a franchise that's trying to take big steps. This was a, a dumb, unnecessary one uh, that was taken here. Uh, but as far as the rest of, of news goes, things was late. Uh, except we'll cover all the signings here in just a little bit, but uh, more of uh, a, Sad passing news. We've had big names uh, going at, back at the end of 2020 to just the beginning of 2021. Uh, my goodness, the Hall of Fame lineup that you could be putting together in just the last two months of of, of players who have been uh, 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 who have now All passed on. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this week we had Don Sutton. Let's start with Don Sutton because the other one's going to take a few more minutes. So Don Sutton, it, unfortunately, is going to die it's the same week as Hank Aaron, who we'll get to in a minute. But Don Sutton, 75 years old extremely story career in his own right 16 years 
most famously with the Dodgers, but time with Angels, Brewers, Astros, and Athletics. 324 regular season wins, over 300 wins. Immediate Hall of Famer, of course. Uh, I think he's 14th in wins and 5,282 innings pitched. 20 straight seasons he pitches over 200 innings. We'll be lucky if we see 10 pitchers throw 200 innings this year, especially coming off of the shortened season. And some of these are incredible, what he's got. Now, currently ranks 7th all-time in strikeouts. Of course, he's in the Hall of Fame. And then long run as a commentator. You probably heard him if you watch any Braves games. Long run as a commentator with the Braves. I believe he's in their Hall of Fame, too. Um, Truly one of the greats of all-time pitchers. Yeah, especially as pitching continues to to change in modern baseball. Uh, one of uh, one of the guys from the bygone era that did it so well for so long. Uh, and uh, condolences, yeah, that's a big one. Condolences, Don Sutton's family. And then uh, uh, one of the biggest names in, in baseball uh, period, especially in the time period in which he was playing and performing and doing it uh, with a massive level of humility and professionalism. Uh, that you, you don't even find out of sports players today in a different setting. Uh, Hammer and Hank, Hank Aaron, uh, passes away this week. So this one is, so we've talked you know, Hall of Famers, legends of the game. This this is an icon of this game. There's maybe 10 players all time, Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron. The true home run king. The true home run king. Like you said, humility, unending, uh, in a time of, the KKK in the deep South, right? He, his mom talks stories where he had to go hide in his room as he's getting up there. So it's, it's Jackie Robinson's an icon. Hank Aaron is right there with him. And we were going to do the goat podcast this week, but there were so many moves that we weren't going to get it done. But I can tell you, spoiler alert, Hank Aaron will be my number one right fielder ahead of Babe Ruth. I, I think that's a, a safe bet to, uh, uh, to make. I mean, if you want to say one a and one B I'm cool with sure. that too. Uh, but he's uh, very much uh, that level. And, uh, and, and again, uh, I'll put it this way, it also puts him over the top is you didn't have any of the off-the-field antics or the way in which he was... Uh, uh, there's a full role model, uh, which is hard to find in sports at any era, but especially with everything that he was uh, uh, enduring uh, for just playing the game. And it's not his fault that he does it well, and he shouldn't have to apologize for that, but it's such a tumultuous time uh, uh, to be doing it. Uh, again, uh, a legend in every every facet of the word. Most home runs all time, most extra base hits, most RBIs, most total bases. If you take away all 755 of his home runs, he still has over 3,000 hits. It's a home run career on top of another home run career. That's how amazingly good he was at this game. One stat and one story for you. Go for the it. The one stat is he never had a 50 homer season. Consistent Just excellence. Cons- yep. Uh, this wasn't uh, some big peak. It was consistent all the way across the board. So that's the the one stat, the one story. This came from the actually the, the Tampa Bay uh, Rays uh, radio play by play play by announcer. He uh, back when he was covering or doing radio for the Durham Bulls and the AAA affiliate for the Rays and one of the more legendary minor league teams that's uh, out there. Uh, there was uh, a random night that took place when he was there where a gentleman came up to the ticket uh, counter and uh, wanted to buy a, buy a seat. It was Henry Aaron. Someone happened to at least recognize who he was and said, like, no, we're not going to make you pay for a ticket. You don't get charged if you're Henry Aaron? Uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, get alerted. He ended up spending the uh, the game up in the owner's box uh, uh, for that. I think that. you might get mobbed uh, if you're in the, in the masses down there. So, uh, But someone who... 
talk. Just think about that. A triple-A game, not even a major league uh, game. He's just there. He wants to see baseball, loves baseball, and, and just yeah. coming to a game. And was going to – he easily could have played off his, his name or anything oh. else for that. Like Forever. Uh, and uh, and he's just walking up through like anyone else to, to grab a ticket. And, uh, again, just part of his, his character and, and who he was. But uh, – that one was uh, uh, that one was the, tough. Yeah, that one was tough just because you know, personally he's he's my dad's favorite player. My dad has a story where he met Henry Aaron in a bathroom at one time. I, I don't know if I told you that one or not. I don't think so. So my my if you haven't met this from about my family, we get to places very early, and my dad dad got him to a game very early, a couple hours before batting practice at the time, and they let you in back then. And my dad and his brother were I think he said like five and six at the time, and was in a bathroom and. Henry Aaron walked in to use the bathroom also and said, you know, hey, kids, how's it going? And my dad said he just stood there in, in awe, but he was nothing but kind. And so my dad's favorite player and one of my favorite players, I've grown up with stories of Henry Aaron. So that, that one was the toughest one that we've had in the last year. Condolences to uh, family and anyone yes. who was impacted uh, by him, uh, inspired by him from uh, watching baseball. Uh, and how many generations of players did he inspire to play the game themselves, both in the backyard as well as major leaguers uh, afterwards. So uh, condolences in the baseball world uh, with uh, the passing of Hank Aaron. Uh, we are going to dive into, uh, in just a minute here, we'll come back and we will uh, take a look at the biggest signings from the, from the week, including a nine-figure one. George Springer finds a home north of the border. Cut my egg. Your eggs are cut, sir. Cut my milk. I can't, sir. It's liquid. Imbecile. Freeze it, then cut it. You, bring me the Wall Street Journal. You two, fight to the death. You are a madman. I want to party with you, cowboy. Are you kids with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima hula hoops and Pac-Man video games? Don't you see? People today have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds. <laughs> be honest with you, I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Fulton fan. Yes! That's awesome! I'm not sure if the Toronto Blue Jays are Michael Bolton fans or not, but uh, what I do know is they're fans of, of making some big moves here this week. Uh, we have our, uh, is this our first nine-figure contract of the offseason? I'm trying to remember uh, where we've gotten to yet. It's uh, It's been a while. So. But I think this I is the first of, of the big guys. I'm, I'll probably remember it as we move on here. But uh, George Springer uh, is the you know one of the top five free agents uh, uh, that was available this offseason. Uh, and it was a two-team race. We knew that for most of the uh, the offseason, the New York Mets uh, and the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, and reports were out there that the Mets offered $120 million, uh, to Springer. That was their, their contract offer. And we said it uh, uh, in the last podcast. I said, if Toronto's going to get their guy, they have to be willing to do an overpay. It's the only way that they're going to get the, pushed in that direction due to just some of the uh, extenuating circumstances for the, the upcoming season without knowing what your home's going to be and some of this other stuff. They've been striking out on some big players. Uh, even though they've offered more money on, on some of these guys, it just didn't go their way. If you really want to get them, this is what you have to be willing to do, and they did. And so they offered the, uh, uh, the six-year, $150 million contract, uh, and uh, they got their guy. So we started to get a little more clarity about this. And while they were playing in Buffalo this last year, apparently if this year goes uh, the way of COVID, it's going to be down in, is it 
Dunedin? Uh, Dunedin. Dunedin. Uh, You're a Florida some, guy. It's down in my my neck of the Is woods. It? So I've I've been to some uh, spring training games down there. So yeah, Dun, uh, Dunedin, uh, which will be uh, what maybe a, a half hour at most from uh, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. Oh really? So I I did not know where it was. I just saw that we're getting some clarity. So they're going to be in Florida, perhaps and. We don't know officially if that's the case or not, but Springer maybe said, look, we're getting a little more clarity. And like you said, we since saying it's a two-team race for weeks, I think last week you said Blue Jays, I argued Mets. I don't think either one of us would have been surprised if it went either way there. And so he's going to get $10 million signing bonus and then $22 million this year, and then it ramps up for a year before going back down for the last few years of that deal. I think it has a partner trade clause is what I saw. And here's what I, my question is. Does he... He's always batted leadoff, right? And I think he can be a fine – you could say he batted three, four, and I'd be fine with that. Do you think he's going to bat leadoff again? Uh, things have changed from uh, from baseball and past uh, as far as how you uh, personify the the leadoff hitter. It's no longer a slapstick guy. Mookie Betts is the the MVP who's done it that way. Uh, I would leave him where he's comfortable. Uh, so I would absolutely keep him at there, and then you move a Kevon Biggio to number two, uh, and then you can uh, build your your lineup uh, from there. Uh, but yeah, let him be at the the leadoff spot. Uh, again, you sign him to do exactly uh, if he can produce the, the stats of the last three years for the upcoming three years, you'd be very happy. So let him just keep the same process, uh, same routine, and uh, let him produce the same results. Hopefully, well, this this makes up for them being the the bridesmaid and all those other signings. This yep. is the big get that they said they wanted to get, and this is a big get. I think we, we were talking a little bit before, but I think there was four what I consider elite-level free agents, and George Springer's absolutely one of them. This this is a big signing for them, and absolutely, he's going to be a coveted part of their offense going forward. And we thought this was his ceiling. I think we mentioned six years, 150, as right being now. his uh, ceiling of what was going to be out there. Uh, and. That's what uh, took place there. Uh, but this wasn't the only signing for the Blue Jays. They made two other moves on the pitching side uh, with some uh, underrated with, uh, signings. Let's start with Kirby Yates, the relief pitcher, because I have some good things to say for him. The other one I'm not going to say some good things so much about. So let's start with Kirby Yates here. We mentioned Kirby Yates last week coming off the was that the bone chips, or was it Tommy? I think it was bone chips. Yeah, bone chips in his elbow. Yep. Only made six appearances last year. But we're only two years removed from a 119 ERA with 101 strikeouts to 13 walks in 60 innings while leading the league with 41 saves. Very, very good closer just two seasons ago. It's all health-related here. If health cooperates, it's a great signing. And if not, it's not a big risk. One year, $5.5 is not a big risk for a team that's owned by a major media conglomerate. So as far as Kirby Eats is concerned... You'd expect him to slot right into the closer's role, assuming that Absolutely. he shows health and just stretches that bullpen even more, and they're getting better. So we like the first two moves uh, unanimously. There might be a, a little bit of a different opinion for the third move. Uh, Tyler Chatwood, uh, starting pitcher. Uh, now, I'm remembering last Chicago Cubs, right? Mm-hmm. He was and with the Cubs. The, the ERA was decent, but there was some underlying things, right? Okay, so the Toronto Blue Jays at one point made a offseason statement about trying to acquire players who throw more strikes. And then they signed Robbie Ray. <laughs> and now they signed Tyler Chatwood. Sure, his ERA last his ERA last year was actually five. Two years ago, it was 3-7. But he struck out 12 per nine innings last year. Now, that's only 18 innings, very small sample size. But he's walked four per nine innings last year, walked four per nine innings the year before that, walked eight per nine innings the year before that, and walked four. That's a trend. 
that's not something not a good that's, one either. That's not what you want. Like, yeah, he had one good ERA in there. You cannot survive walking those type of batters, and that's what Robbie Ray does, right? That Robbie Ray is just Tyler Chatwood with better stuff, and so this is not one that I'm a big fan of. Now, it's not a huge deal. I think it was three millions with some incentives, but you cannot trust Robbie Ray. So they're going to have an amazing offense. I think they they almost had another player, which we'll talk about in a little bit here, but they're going to have an unbelievably good offense. You can make the case it's the best in the American League pretty easily. And they got Hyunjin Ryu. Great pitcher. I've said I love Hyunjin Ryu. Robbie Ray, Tyler Chatwood. I don't have any trust in Tyler Chatwood pitching the American League East. Nate Pearson's still really young. I think he can be good. That's the one that they're now fully healthy, uh, fully back. Uh, I think that they're expecting big things out of him. Uh, the reports are that they're done as far as the the big signings, but they're still looking around the peripheral of the market for another starting pitcher. James Paxton That's, is the one gonna, that has been uh, rumored the most. Got to get that big maple back up into Canada, right? Yeah, full. That's right. So, yeah, I, I they need to sign. But I don't think James Paxton's got plenty of his own faults, which we'll get to in a little bit here, but they need to sign someone like that that is at least reliable because – Beyond Hyunjin Ryu, yeah, I think Nate Pearson's really good. Would I consider him reliable at this point? We've never seen it, right? We've never seen it. And to pit playing against the Yankees and the Rays and uh, the Red Sox have a good offense. They have no pitching, but they have a good offense, right? So, and then Ross Stripling, yeah, he's been okay. Tanner Rourke, okay, but that's not good enough to be competitive against the Yankees or even the Rays pitching staff. So, uh, they need one more pitcher, but. As far as Tyler Chat was concerned, it's not a huge risk, but I don't think it's much of a reward either this year. So we'll see what remains with with their moves. But now the Blue Jays again have been the they've been the dark horse team for everyone uh, this offseason. They finally got their big ticket item, Kirby Yates, to help with the uh, they needed a closer uh, with Ken Giles uh, injuries. Moving on, uh, they needed someone to fill that ninth inning role. Here's someone who has been very good at that uh, pre injury. So we'll see what, what takes place there. But you now, well, instead of me stating it, I should ask the question. Is this now a fully legitimate three-team race in the uh, AL East? Oh, yeah. This is a three-team race before. If anything, I would say it's – I'd put the Blue Jays as the favorite. I think they're the only one that's truly upgraded, actually, all so far this offseason. I think we mentioned a little bit before, yep. I think the Yankees have maybe held serve, but I wouldn't say that they've actually upgraded their team. They've kind of kept the same thing going. And – yeah, the Blue Jays or the excuse me, the, the Toronto, the Tampa Bay Rays have made some moves, but losing Charlie Morton and Blake Snell, you can't tell me that they're a better team right now than they were that went to the World Series. And not even a, a, a fan like me is going to tell you that. Yeah. Uh, to me, is the, the best thing that I can say at this point is there's still time in the offseason yet to see how everything shakes out. Sure. Uh, and so until I see the full picture, what's the 25 man or 26 man roster? Uh, I'm holding off judgment yet to see what what does take place. Uh, they'll find a way to win 90 games the way they have in the in the past with their depth and their minor league their farm system. Uh, but right now, if the season started today, uh, yeah, Toronto's the only team that is actually upgraded. Now the question is, uh, they have two, maybe and two for sure starting pitchers out of five. The others are question marks. Now, you could say the same thing when you look down the list. The the Yankees, they have one and question marks. Uh, so that's I think we're going to be noticing a theme in the AL East this year, and whoever bet right on the injured pitchers or the the, the 
uh, the reclamation projects, is who's going to be winning that division. So there's the early prediction with that of what we're going to be looking for in that division. Uh, we'll come back to that division with uh, multiple moves taking place, but there's one other team switching to the National League that made three moves uh, this week, and that would be the Washington Nationals. Let's start with their biggest reclamation project signing, I guess, which would be John Lester to be their starting pitcher. And Lester is 37 now. Yeah, 37. He just turned 37. So he's not the Red Sox John Lester. He's not even the early days Cubs John Lester. He's a mid-fours ERA, maybe even a little higher than that type of player who's going to slot in as their four starter behind their big three of Scherzer, Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin. And hopefully be a serviceable eat some innings for him uh, man if that rotation could party like it was 2009 yeah, exactly yes very much so but uh i think that was a one-year contract too i did not see, i did Correct. not catch the, uh, the amount oh five million it looks like one year is five million that's that's fine right that's you're, you'll take a chance on john lester getting back to being you know maybe he gets to a four-year maybe a few balls innings. get caught and yeah uh, eat some innings for you and, uh, again, as they continue with their uh, – this is a, uh, a majorly veteran team. They're adding uh, more veterans uh, to it. Uh, and this one, again, has a four or five uh, to try to get some innings out of it, especially if you can pr- improve your offense enough uh, to uh, you know, to handle uh, handle that, then I think you're in, in good shape. Let's talk about one signing they made to upgrade their offense, I guess. Ryan Zimmerman – so they traded for Josh Bell last month, and Ryan Zimmerman, they've signed again to a one-year, $1 million contract. He could back up Josh Bell and play against lefties. That's he, your platoon right there. Right. He could you, play in the DH, Josh right? Bell does not hit well against left-handed pitching. He crushes right-handed pitching when he's on. Ryan uh, Zimmerman is the perfect complement to, to platoon at first base and uh, take care of that for you. Yeah, remember he opted out last year, so it's yep. been a year off for him, and he's 36, so you hope he bounces back and is back to being the player he was. But a career Nationals player, done a lot of good things for them. Not surprised to see him go back Franchise to there. Franchise icon. It was either going to be that or retired, I think we all thought. So now the big signing, this is one that we haven't had a whole lot of time to discuss. It happened right before we recorded while we were eating dinner together, and that is Brad Hand signed one year, one $10.5 million contract pending the physical with the Nationals, and we hadn't heard a lot about the Nationals signing a closer I famously have my prediction out there who I think they'll sign, but Brad Hand, that, I think it means that at this point we can say that the Nationals are another team that's going for it, right? They've added Josh Bell, they've added Kyle Schwarber, now you've added Lester, Zimmerman, and Hand. This is a team that is on the cusp of transitioning. Uh, Matt, uh, Max Scherzer is one year away from free agency. Uh, and at his age, this this could be the end of his career with the uh, well period or with the Washington Nationals. Uh, that's a lot of money coming off the books. If you'll notice the three signings that we talked about here, they're all one year deals. Uh, you had them and appropriately uh, with talent on paper as a uh, World Series contending team last year. Then people get hurt and stuff happens. Uh, what they have done, which is what some teams in the Major League Baseball haven't done. This is the argument against the Tampa Bay Rays, for example. They rolled it back. They said, we like the team that we had. There was injuries and COVID and things that got in the way. No, we're just going to augment it with one, one-year deals, and we're rolling it back. Uh, in the uh, NL East, that, again, as we said, is going to be the most competitive division uh, in baseball, and these moves just add to that idea. And compliments to Brad Hand, uh, who ironically – 
and this always makes you scratch your head. He was available for almost free in trade if anyone wanted to pick him up with the deal that he had left at the one year that was there. They instead turned down the option. He becomes a free agent. No one wanted to pay it. He's making the same. Yeah, got his one year. It was a $10 million option, right? Yeah, yeah. got declined so, by the Cleveland. So, so yeah. he's making absolutely the same, which you could have got him there in, a, in this. And here's the interesting thing that is not being, because, again, the media just doesn't cover this. Uh, the media always blasts when they think that the owners are screwing over the players, right? They always <laughs> blast when the, the, the salaries aren't what they are. If you notice this week and a lot of these things from what uh, from uh, MLBTradeRumors.com and, and the others that did their predictions on prices, it's above. Everything is coming in above right now. The starting pitching market is insane for number four and number five starters making eight to twelve million dollars a year uh, for guys that are just the back of rotation. No, nothing that's going to be much. Prices are up and teams are paying. Uh, yes, there's some salary dumps and some things that are going on as a result of COVID-related losses, but by and large, people are getting paid. Now, you're going to have the uh, when the the merry-go-round stops playing, uh, you're going to have some players that are going to be frozen out, but this market is actually higher than expected at this point, but it doesn't fit a media narrative, so you're not hearing much about it. That's right. That's what we tend to happen when it doesn't match their narrative. So... As far as Brad Hand's concerned, congratulations to him. You're going to be the closer for the Washington Nationals and on a team that I think is going to be competitive. We'll see how it works out for you. Once again, after this year, you have a great year. Maybe make one more nice paycheck. You'll be 31 next offseason, so maybe get one more good paycheck out of it. The uh, We'll finish uh, our conversation of the AL East. Uh, we've been mentioning the three big moves with uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, both the Red Sox and Yankees made uh, two moves apiece uh, this week. Uh, the Red Sox... Uh, some underrated uh, talent uh, being added. You have uh, Garrett Richards on a one-year $10 million deal, and you also have Kike Hernandez, uh, who's a utility player who can do a little bit of everything on a two-year deal. Let's start with Garrett Richards. Garrett Richards, I had made my list of top five remaining pitchers, and he actually came in at number six, and then he signed, so I had to redo my list. I like Garrett Richards. I really do. Uh, very injury-prone pitcher, extraordinarily injury-prone. But when he pitches... It's pretty good. Like last year, a four-year A is a little high because 46 strikeouts to 17 walks, that's what you want. You want players who don't give up free passes but yet strike out people so that you don't have to rely on your defense. So we said all along, the, the Red Sox problem was going to be their pitching. And Chris Sale, we carried come out a little report that they're going to be very cautious with him, which I can't blame the Red Sox for. You're, not, you're going to be cautious with that left arm of Chris Sale's. But Garrett Richards is a good addition, uh, along with Nate Evaldi, and I don't know what you're getting out of Eduardo Rodriguez, but at least you have a couple of pitchers there in Nate Evaldi and Garrett Richards who Martin Perez was brought Martin back. Martin Perez, right? Reliable arms, like giving you innings. Now, I don't think any of them are as good as Hyunjin Ryu. I don't think any of them are as good as you know, Cole, obviously, or who's uh, Tyler, Tyler Glass now, excuse me. So I don't think there are any of them as good as that, but they're fine pitchers, serviceable pitchers. As for Kike Hernandez, I'm a big Kike Hernandez fan. I remember picking Kike Hernandez as like my underrated X factor for the Dodgers. Now he didn't play a lot for the Dodgers because they have an unbelievably deep team, (laughs) but for the Red Sox, I expect him to be the starting second baseman from day one. And I don't think he'll bat high in their lineup. I would expect him to bat towards the bottom of that lineup, but well, all we've ever seen out of Kike Hernandez is, is versatility. He can play infield. He can play outfield. He destroys left-handed batting. And I expect him to keep doing the same thing, take advantage of the green monster, get some decent counting stats towards the bottom of that lineup. 
Good signing. What do you think of the the Red Sox offseason? If we talk about uh, Richards, Hernandez, Perez, they also signed Hunter Renfro uh, with it. To me, I call this a very Rays-like offseason. Again, Heim Bloom is their uh, GM from the Rays, and this feels very much like the types of uh, underrated moves that the the Rays have made over the over the years. That was the word. I, I was going to use the word underrated. So you took that word out of my mouth. Uh, yeah, I think that's four starters, right? That's Hunter Renfro is going to slot in at right field. I said in Kike Hernandez is going to play second base. You're going to start Garrett Richards. And yeah, Martin Perez is a re-sign, but you're going to use Martin Perez. And we've heard a lot of rumors that they're going to trade Andrew Benatendi and his abysmal 103 average. Look, Andrew Benatendi is... He needs a change of scenery at this point. It, yep. He's one of the highest-rated players that there was just a few years ago, and it didn't work. It's not worked out in Boston the last few years after a nice first year. So I don't know what type of return they'll get for Andrew Benatendi, but I would expect him to move the next couple of weeks here as the Red Sox should still be a good team. I, I expect them to be actually back to better than the Orioles, which was competitive last, last season, but I don't think they're in that same class. As, you know, We already talked about it. It's, it already looks like a three-team race with maybe Toronto pulling a little ahead in this race right now. And the Boston's probably not there yet, but a year or two away. I don't think it's there. I don't think they're far away from being a 500 team. Uh, it's going to depend on, depend on health. Uh, but you're, you're adding in solid veterans that uh, I think this team could actually be, like with Kike Hernandez, Hunter Renfro, you're talking guys that can crush left-handed pitching. Uh, so here you have uh, a team that might be a little bit more challenging to, to lefties in the division as well. Uh, we move up to to New York and the Pinstripes, and they have uh, taken uh, acquired two uh, more underrated pitchers who dealt with injuries, who uh, appear to be healthy moving into this year. A former Cy Young winner in Corey Kluber, and then you have the uh, Phenom, who's I think who's in the top twenty overall prospects in baseball at one point, and James. Uh, uh, Tyone. Emerson Tyone, yeah. So let's start with Kluber. Kluber's there. He's back. Uh, I don't know. I believe it's a one-year deal also, maybe with an option in there. I'm not sure if there's an option or not. Yeah, there's a one-year deal for $11 million, and it's it's the replacement for James James Paxton, right? It's the it's the perfect replacement for James Paxton. He'll slot right in behind Garrett Cole. And then they made the big trade today to get Jameis and Tyone with, once again, the Pirates doing Pirates things, although I, I'm not going to be too tough on the Pirates on this one. This is actually a pretty good trade for them with the return they got here. For just a second here on the Pirates, they got Miguel, I believe it's Yahure, Ronzi Contreras, Kanan Smith, and Michael Escado. Now, I don't know a whole lot about them, but I do know that they're all currently rated in the top 20 prospects according to Fangrass, which is awesome. Like, at least for the Pirates' sake, they seem to have somewhat of a plan. It's get really high-end prospects, like not super high-end prospects, but a lot of this quality prospects. This is almost prospects. sounding like a Pirates positive. Quality, I'll just say quality depth prospects. Maybe not super high-end guys, but quality depth guys that maybe in three, four years will be good for them. And hopefully they won't trade him away like they tend to do. But as far as Jamison Tyone's concerned, yeah, he was one of the top prospects in the game not that long ago. He's under control through 2023, so not a free agent, not a rental. And his thing was he – he didn't play last season, and the year before that it was cancer. I don't remember which cancer it was, but he had cancer. And he's had two Tommy John surgeries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's always going to be a challenge when you think of what's the durability, what's how many innings can he handle. Uh, as far as it's, it's a short list for those who come back from two, uh, but I'll, uh, Tampa Bay Rays' Peter Fairbanks, who was uh, one of the best uh, relievers in the playoffs last year, and has the chance to be one of the best relievers in the American League this year. His stuff is that good. He's a come back from, from two of those and, and is healthy. 
Here's what else I'll say. So in 2018, he had a 320 ERA. So we've seen that he's he can be very good. We've seen it already. He was really young at that time. We know he can be good. He's still 29. And there's a long history of pitchers leaving Pittsburgh now after them being considered a pitching mecca for a while. There's a, now a long history of Garrett Cole, Charlie Morton, Tyler Glass now. Uh, who am I forgetting? I think I'm forgetting one. Leaving Pittsburgh and being amazingly good. So I... Jamison Tyone would not surprise me if he's definitely better than Kluber by the end of this year. Garrett Cole highly recommended him to the the New York Brass. That doesn't surprise me. He's I've seen Jamison Tyone pitch. He has very good stuff. He's also he looks a lot more like Glass now than Cole. He's like six 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 five tall and really well built. Intimidating on the mound. You just hope that the health is there. And again, getting away from the the Pittsburgh mentality with pitching is they love to pound the the bottom half of the zone. It didn't work for Tyler Glass now, and you can put Tyone in the same breath because the height was coming down, like versus just letting their stuff just work naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's very much a, a, an upside guy who could have a a classic resurgence, leaving the Pittsburgh organization. At some point, they have to do something about that uh, and fix their philosophy because it's just not working. Yeah. Uh, as we move to... Hold on. Quick what, side note on the Yankees here. Because we talked before this podcast, there's been a lot of talk about how great the Yankees are and how much they've improved. And it's really, we just said, lateral moves here, right? Because you can say they took out... DJ LeMay, who just is a re-signing, it's not a betterment of their team. Because I said, Durando Blue Jays got better. And Tanaka and James Paxton were on this team, and they replaced him with Kluber and uh, Jameson Tyone. You could make the argument it's fractionally better. You can make the argument it's fractionally worse. So... Anybody who says that the Yankees are significantly better, I'd I love an explanation of that because I feel like it's a lateral moves. As I continue my trend of, uh, of Twitter beefs with uh, national media, uh, Mike Petrello of CBS got uh, snotty at me for uh, uh, for not being uh, happy with the uh, the Yankees moves or he wanted to call it the the best offseason that he's seen no. from them. It's like And no. counting DJ LeMahieu as a, as a significant improvement for next year. It's like, he was on the team last year. And he won a it's a status title. quo. Like, yes, he's a. You needed that signing. It's an important, valuable signing, but it did nothing to move the needle for next year. Now, uh, I I like the upside signings. I like Kluber. I like Tyone. I think these are good signings. But at the end of the day, you count them. You count Luis Severino coming back, and then uh, uh, Mingo Herman. Mingo Herman. Four pitchers who have the potential to be their number two through number five starters. Absolutely, have, have pitched one inning combined in the last year. Yep. One inning combined <laughs> yep. from your number two to number five starters. If that doesn't scream question mark, I don't know what does. So it could work out well. And ultimately, as we've said before, this offseason especially is going to be defined by who picked right on the injury uh, rehab guys and the reclamation projects uh, because there's not a lot of certainty in the free agent market, and in, in this particular free agent market, uh, as the uh, 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 fight starts to break out in the uh, Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs game, as we're getting uh, chippy over uh, here in the final portions of that game, they got the onside kick right, and they're making a, a game of it. But you're you're not you're not coming back from this. Sorry, but let's uh, move to the sorry. yes. Let's move to the weirdest signing of the week uh, down in Houston. So right <laughs> after George Springer signed with the. Toronto Blue Jays, we heard that he was bringing his friend over there. Him and Michael Brantley are tight. And so we thought, okay, that's we heard that it was a two-year deal to sign with a t- suddenly really deep Toronto Blue Jays. That was going to be a three-year deal. 
And then a few hours later, it was, well, maybe it's not done yet, but they're close. It's close. And then 20 minutes later, it wasn't long after that, he was back with the right. He was re-signed with the Astros. Two-year deal, $32 million. Congratulations, Michael Brantley. Then you talk about over, when you talk about the nice market that's out there, that is a deal that I did not think Michael Brantley was getting, but congratulations to him. Absolutely going to go back to playing right where he was while George Springer heads north of the border. Astros definitely need to keep uh, one of those significant bats, but uh, Buster Olney in his uh, Sunday column on ESPN asked the question that, especially at that price point, well, and why didn't you just give him a qualifying offer at $18 million for one year, especially at his age? Who's who's uh, uh, With that, who's going to be offering more or risk losing a first-round pick or anything for it? So uh, it's kind of a, a confusing one where the offseason has, like, same thing with Brad Hand. I, I'm going to go out and make this uh, this ledge here. You do it. These moves, what, what that tells me, what Brad Hand's money says, what Michael Brantley's money says is, you have owners that are more confident in a full 162-game season and more confident in a larger revenue stream, whether how many X amount of fans will be allowed or anything within it. You don't see these type of over-market of what was anticipated market deals unless you are confident in the revenue that is coming. So I think what we're starting to see as owners are now starting to open up the pocketbooks and these deals are being made and they're coming in higher, to me that says... Uh, even more uh, to be confident in the upcoming year actually happening uh, and being as close to normal as possible. Yeah, it, it makes sense. You're right. You, 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 the revenue's got to come from somewhere. Speaking of a team that's not, uh, not uh, uh, afraid to uh, drop it like it's hot, uh, San Diego Padres have made two moves. Yeah, let's start with uh, San Diego. Let's start with Joe Musgrove, which is the one that happened right after we got done last week. So Joe Musgrove was traded from the Pittsburgh Pirates to the San Diego Padres in, in a three-team trade, actually. So a lot of players swapped here. So Pittsburgh gets back Hudson Head, Omar Cruz, Drake Fellows, and Dave Bednar. And I can talk about Hudson Head. I've, I've watched Hudson Head. He's a very good outfield prospect, probably a couple years away, but that's another one, a good get. So for all the P- Pittsburgh talk we've had on here, at least they seem to be getting guys who are about two to three years away with with, those, with some upside here. Yep. Uh, San Diego, actually, let's talk Joey Lucchesi. So Joey Lucchesi goes from San Diego to the Mets. And along with an outfield prospect named Andy Rodriguez. But Lucchesi's had success in the big leagues. He's a two-pitch pitcher, which makes it really hard for him. But he has those ridiculously wonky delivery. And the one pitch he throws is this weird, like, slider, slurve, churve thing that he calls it. And it's very strange. But my prediction for Lucchesi would be long reliever, like Seth Lugo type. I think they've said they're going to move Lugo back into the short relief role. So Joey Lucchesi probably becomes your long reliever spot starter for the Mets. And then Musgrove is a big piece in this. Uh, 3.86 ERA last year, 55 strikeouts to 16 walks in 39 innings in the condensed season. And that's this is the team that's obviously making all the pitching moves that we've seen so far. They've brought in Snell. They've brought in Darvish. Uh, he avoided, ar- or sorry, Joe Musgrove avoided arbitration, and he's also under control through 2022. And so the Pittsburgh, the, I, I texted you right after this happened. I'm expecting to hear Denilson Lamette's arm needs Tommy John because remember he missed the playoffs and I don't I didn't know what was going to happen there but they've started to say that they're talking they don't want to after coming off this short season they don't want to overuse anyone so they might go six-man rotation which would be Darvish, Snell, Musgrove, Lamette, Paddock and who am I forgetting? Well and then eventually you have uh, Mackenzie your, uh, Gore. Yeah yeah uh, so that would be another way of bringing in the uh, uh the young arm but 
Uh, anyone who makes the claim now that you can't uh, buy a rotation in one year has not met A.J. Preller. No. <laughs> uh, no. That it is impressive, the quality of arms, uh, both from uh, – Big, uh, big name to uh, having the hardware behind those names to multiple years of team control. Like it, it is absolutely impressive what they've done with also not giving up. Like most of the, like their top ten, I think they've only uh, traded one guy off their uh, top ten, yeah. uh, and that was Luis Patino in, in the Blake Snell trade. Yeah, they've kept. Some of their big names are, you know, obviously Mackenzie Gore, but Luis Campesino, Ryan Weathers, Adrian Morion. They have one of the deepest. Uh, C.J. Abrams is unbelievably highly yep, rated yep. at shortstop, but they have one of the deepest minor league systems there is, and it's relatively unscathed through this acquisition of talent throughout the big leagues. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's at this point, it's the deepest rotation certainly in baseball and arguably some of the most top-end talent in any team rotation in baseball. And yet they made another move this week. Uh, they brought back Jerickson Profar. Was it a three-year deal? Three-year, 21 mil. So Profar... Another player, one time considered the best prospect in this game, Byron Buxton before Byron Buxton, Joe Waddell, yep. right? He was that type of prospect level. Uh, didn't really work out with the Rangers, had a nice one year there with the Athletics, and then last year with the Padres, had an excellent short season. Seven home runs, stole seven bases, hit two seventy eight. The best we've ever seen from Joe Rickson Profar, but after they signed Haseon Kim, I thought it was a foregone conclusion Joe Rickson Profar was leaving this team. So... Now this team gets even more depth because we talked about Cronenworth almost won the rookie of the year, and I thought he was going to be their super utility player. So here's their current projected roster on roster resource. You have Trent Grisham at center, then Tatis, Machado, Hosmer, Pham, Will Myers, and then at second base, you can make the case for Cronenworth or Haseon Kim or switch hitting Profar, and then you got Nola at catcher. So there's depth, there's versatility in this lineup. It's it's very interesting to watch what the Padres are doing. Well, and the Padres have now uh, addressed the biggest issue that teams are going to go through, and you're going to have a lot of guys on the IL this next year, uh, even if it's just from small wear and tear. Uh, like you're going to have that issue as we ramp everything back up exactly. And what they've done now is afforded the appropriate depth to keep everything moving. So that'll be fun to, to watch there. The one signing I forgot to allow you to include with the, uh, the Astros was Jason Castro. Uh, so they got their backup <laughs> catcher. Not that it's a big move, but nope. nonetheless, it was a move that was made. Yeah, you did, you did come, that's okay. I was, I was just going to let you go with it. But yeah, Jason Castro's back to the, to the Astros. Uh, he'd been with the Astros before. He was gone for a few years with the Twins. He is back on a two-year, $7 million deal. So uh, I think it's he bats left-handed, I believe, and Martin Maldonado bats right-handed. So you'd expect a platoon Perfect there. Perfect platoon, yep. yep. Well, the uh, Marlins added to their uh, uh, their bullpen uh, and a uh, guy who had a uh, number of saves last year uh, that could be in their ninth inning, uh, new ninth inning option for them. So this is the closer, or one of the closers. The Blue Jays bounced through a few, but Anthony Bass closed seven games last year for the Toronto Blue Jays. 25 innings, he had a 3-5 ERA, backed up by a 3-6 FIP, so not getting lucky there. Walked a few too many more than I'd like, but still struck out seven per nine, and so he came to... Now Miami, two years, $5 million with a club option. Uh, Kinsler was their closer last year on a playoff team. Kinsler is currently still a free agent. So right now I would expect Anthony Bass to be the leader in the clubhouse for saves. Again, another one of those underrated type of signings that the Marlins have been making for the last, uh, counting last offseason uh, and continuing that type of progression. I like that move. I don't like the Minnesota Twins move. J.A. Happ. 
uh, is the, now going to the rotation. I mean, a lot, some guys don't fit in, in New York in the Bronx, and they do better. Sonny Gray is the perfect example of it, but I'm not a fan of, of J.A. Happ at his, at his age and where his arm is. 38 years old. Lefty, it was actually not a bad year last year, considering you know, 42 strikeouts, 15 walks, and 49 innings over the nine starts with the Yankees. It's the replacement for Jake Odorizzi, right? That's what you'd expect. Odorizzi's gone as a free agent. They need to replace him. The veteran left-hander is... It's solid. It's in the Garrett Richards mold. You hope he eats some innings for you. The Twins have a good team. Sure, you're not expecting J.A. Happ to step in and be the ace of that team, but they have an ace, right? They have Jose Barrios. They have Kenton Maeda. They have some aces on their team. He's going to be a back end of the rotation guy and eat some innings. Innings in, in that spot, that much I agree. That's at least uh, solid that way. You're not expecting too much of him. Uh, just like the the Buffalo Bills shouldn't be expecting too much of their guys getting very chippy here at the end. This game's getting ready to have a brawl breakout. Uh, oh boy! Uh, is uh, as lose. the loss is now setting in and people are getting cranky. Got to lose honorably, guys. Got to lose honorably. Uh, the Angels. We, we've said that they've needed to make a big pitching signing. Well, this isn't big, but it's a signing, uh, and 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 it could be an interesting one. I'll give them at least that. But uh, Jose Quintana. I tweeted I, at Joe at Trevor Bauer. I tell you that. I, after this, after this, no, I did not. Unfortunately, <laughs> after this was moved, after this was this signing came out, I I tweeted. I said at at Trevor here, this this is not the signing that the Angels were supposed to make. What are you doing? But I, I did not hear anything from him. So they brought. You never Jose. know with him. So. I don't. Or I, I there's a chance, right? So we'll see. And I still think he's going to go there. But anyways, that's a damn for another later on in this podcast. So he's getting in. I I'm, I'm jumping in. I know <laughs> since you mentioned it, but he's getting in trouble again with his tweets or oh, since boy. the contract there of. Uh, should someone be signing him with some of the extracurriculars? Or they're trying to... <laughs> he was uh, making some comments back to a female reporter. Not Nothing that was crossing a line. Good. Uh, That's out of but people wanting to make it as if crossing the line because how dare he say anything to a female, period. It's like, either are you in the sport, are you supposed to be treated like everyone else, or are you not? If you're a reporter, a player gets upset at a reporter, you can't do, well, she's a girl, you can't say that. Like, no, you're going to have back-and-forth things that happen, and either you are a reporter or you're not. Yeah. If someone is actually going at your gender as a result, that's, that's crossing different. a line. Yeah. That's Jared Porter. That's getting yourself fired. But as far as like someone receiving criticism back, that's going to happen. That's he the game. He can do that. He's, he's, a, he's in his right to do that. Back to Quintana, though. He's Actually, happy birthday, Jose Quintana. I see your birthdays today. Congratulations. You're 32 years old. Uh, Jose Quintana signed a one-year $8 million contract. He's not the pitcher he was with the White Sox, where he was famously underrated for how good he was. Then he got traded across Chicago and has pitched to, after pitching to under a four year eight all those years with the White Sox, he's pitched to a little over a four year eight every year with the Cubs. 415, 403, 468, and 45. XFIP hasn't been that bad. Like he's nope. like a solid, like middle of rotation guy, I would call him. Yeah. So in that Angels rotation, which we said needs pitching, I, Jose Quintana is not the ace that they need. He's not the ace of that team. But. Yeah, he should be you know fourth starter right now, third starter. You expect Bundy if they don't add anybody else, which I still think they will. But you'd expect Bundy to be the ace, and then you have you make the case it's Heaney or Quintana and Griffin Canning, and then who knows if Shohei Otani is going to pitch or whatever. But it, it's it's a fine signing too. I'd say it's I'll say this. I think it's better than or better than J. A. Happ for roughly the same amount of money. Well, for eight million bucks, you could have had Robbie Ray. No. <laughs> Good signing from the Angels that you didn't pay for Robbie Ray. So that covers our uh, uh, 
flurry of activity this past week. Uh, uh, as we do a market reset coming up here, we are going to take a look at the what's left on the board. Who are the uh, the hitters that are there? Who's the pitchers that can make a difference on your team? Uh, there are all, all-stars available, gold glovers, uh, Cy Young winners, silver sluggers. There's still a lot left on this market that could impact your team, and we'll talk about it coming up next. We're going to sing a song. Hey? Um, we've gone. Take away our phones and you can take away our keys, but you cannot take away our dreams. That's right, because we're like sleeping when we have them. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. I know there's a few people that want to see that money burn and the free agent uh, coming their way. Uh, let's start with, uh, we're going to start with pitching. Uh, we're going to go with our uh, starting pitchers first, that's probably the biggest name that's on the market that'll be a, a top of our top five. We're going to take a look at the uh, uh, starting pitchers, relief pitchers, and then to our top hitters. So for starting pitching, obviously Trevor Bauer is number one. Uh, that's who we have at the list who we're waiting to see. Have you seen any clarity this week, anything more emerging uh, of clear front runners, or are things still on the peripheral edge yet? It said the two. The last thing I saw about Trevor Bauer was the two front runners are two of the teams that we've said: the Los Angeles Angels, who's been mm-hmm. my pick since the beginning, and the Los Angeles Dodgers, which they can find money. That we said they they can find money if they really want to bring in Trevor Bauer. They can do that, but it you got to trust that Trevor Bauer is not going to mess with the thing that you like for all of his eccentricities, right? Like you don't want him to mess with the team that just won the World Series. And I on the field, he's going to be great for you. Off the field is the question. Well, here's the thing. All of the moves that the San Diego Padres have made, and I love their offseason. They've done well. Does anyone realize that all it takes is this one move to just smack it all? Uh, Trevor Bauer signs with the Dodgers, and all the good that San Diego did, there's there's a clear one and there's a clear two. Uh, right now you can make the argument that maybe this team's getting closer to uh, challenging for that. Trevor Bauer signs with the Dodgers, and with that lineup that they already have, with that at the top of the rotation, yeah, it, it's uh, it's interesting to see if it happens, if they'll spend the money. Is there finally a cap to the piggy bank uh, over it with uh, the Dodgers? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, who do you have uh, at number two? I have Masahiro Tanaka. I've said on here before, I'm a big fan of Masahiro Tanaka. I just think he's really consistent. You know what you're going to get with him. And we've said that a lot of these guys have question marks. And I don't have, I, I really don't have question marks with Masahiro Tanaka. He's had a, an arm that's supposed to have Tommy John for years, and he's never actually gotten it. And he keeps pitching to a mid four ERA and giving you 170 innings. So I'd say any team that thinks that they're a contender and wants to build depth should be interested in Masahiro Tanaka. That's who I have at number two as well. I have James Paxton at number three. Uh, there's a few places you could go with that. I, 
I know the durability issue can knock him off some boards completely. Uh, I believe in the stuff. Uh, it's it's there. Again, how many innings are you going to get from him? It's kind of like Rich Hill. Like when he's on the mound, you know you're going to get something good. Uh, but uh, And if you can strike uh, luck with the, the health, you're going to get a very nice pitcher. Uh, but obviously health is the question mark. So Paxton's actually my number four. But with Paxton, I think we mentioned, I think the fit is Toronto makes a lot of sense. It's a high upside risk. He goes back. He's from Canada. He goes up there. They they would he would be their you know closest thing to a second reliable pitcher. But his is all health based. But Paxton he's my number four. My number three is actually an ex Blue Jay. I have Taiwan Walker number three. Okay. I have Taiwan Walker number three. He's a little younger than some of these other guys. Uh, but his thing once again is all health. It's it's been health. But last year when he's he pitched, was trending up, he was really health. good, like really good. So. I, if I'm one of these teams that needs some upside and some future upside, I'm spending up for Taiwan Walker. And I was trying to find some rumors or any info on him. I couldn't find a whole lot yet. So maybe yet. the market hasn't developed. But Taiwan Walker, I think, is could be really good signing for someone. Only 28 still. Seems like he's been around forever. Yeah, the the age still works out very well uh, and, uh, there. And he was and very nice for the Blue Jays with the, the trade deadline move there. Uh, so things are trending in the right direction for him. I have as the Jake Odorizzi. He's my number five. And so I figured we were just slightly uh, different order, uh, but Jake Odorizzi, healthy. He's like a solid mid-rotation guy. Uh, and here's someone who I would like to abide by the twice-through-the-order uh, principle with him. You get far more uh, effectiveness this way. If you use him right, you can have an all-star level pitcher. Yeah, I saw him mention this, a Red Sox possibility. I saw that. That would make a lot of sense as we talk about them just acquiring veteran guys to eat some innings for him. Odorizzi makes a lot of sense there. That would be my number five ranked pitcher. Well, I both of us had before today, uh, I'm safely assuming Brad Hand was the number one person on the relief pitcher did list. You do, did you do five starters? Did I you have so. Taiwan Walker in there? And so, yeah, he was oh. my five. Oh, okay. So he was my oh, five, I, yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome that we had the same five, even if it's a little out of order. That's amazing to me. Okay. Yes, I had... Actually, I had Alex Colomay as my number one relief okay. pitcher. He, he is mine now. Uh, I had him <laughs> as number two. And I had uh, Hand as my number two. So we had the same top two, just a little out of order. Hand is obviously signed here. Colomay... He's not getting the love, uh, and part of that is because he's down to a one-to-two pitch pitcher. Yeah. Uh, he, he throws that cutter more and more. Uh, the fastball is the other one that's, that's there, but it's mainly the cutter. Now, again, we've seen relief pitchers be able to, and especially a Hall of Fame one, legendary one, uh, that can rely on that one pitch if it's really, really good. Not saying his is at that level, but he's been effective with it. Now, some are saying that he's... He's always been outperforming his peripheral stats. I think that's what the concerning thing is, is yeah. when does that finally stop? Uh, but you still have a, a solid uh, late-inning reliever, even if you don't view him as a closer. Uh, he can make a difference on a lot of teams. Yeah, and I just I just typed up his name here in Google News, and there's been no news in a week on there, and that was for the Red Sox. So I, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I think he would be – maybe he's not a closer this year. Maybe he just becomes a setup man and recoups some of the value. We saw it work for Blake Trident. We've seen it work for Trevor Rosenthal, who I'm going to talk about here in a few seconds. But my number three is actually Roberto Asuna, and it is – all health there. You, I don't know if he'll pitch this season for you. He very well may not as he returns from his Tommy John. But Asuna will only be – he's only 25 right now. He'll be 26 pretty soon. So if maybe it's just like Tommy Canley where he sits out a year. Two-year contract, one year of, of its rehab. One of the best closers in baseball that we've seen over the last five years. Multiple seasons of 30-plus saves before he turned 25. And he's never he's had one year where his ERA has been above 265. 
Yeah, that's that's a good uh, two-year deal uh, for someone uh, with his potential health issues. Once that becomes more clear, I'm assuming that's the type of contract that he signs. Because of the health issues, I didn't have him in my top five. Uh, my number, uh, so I guess if I'm counting, if we count Brad Hand and just make this a six-man list, uh, then we have column A2. My third is uh, Trevor Rosenthal. He would be my third if you drop Brad Hand, I suppose, because then mine would be column A, Asuna, Rosenthal, yep. Uh, Rosenthal, once again, he did what exactly what I just said Colin A could do, right? He went and became a relief pitcher for the Kansas City Royals, got traded to the Padres, kept closing games, has recouped it, shown he can close again. And another one, I've seen the only talk there that I've seen is a reunion back to San Diego. Uh, they have not, for all the investments they've made into their starting pitching, they have not made many investments into their relief pitching. They saw Kirby Yates walk, but they still have Drew Pomerantz. He... His numbers fell off in like the last three or four outings, like bad. It was off a cliff, and I and it's it stinks when you've had a good rebound year, uh, that when the arm just had a little bit of dead arm to it. Which again, if if you would put this over the course of a uh, a full 162 game season, that'd be about right for a spot that an arm reaches a blip, uh, and last lingering uh, memories uh, can be a challenge there. So I don't know if he ends up signing back, but I, I think, again, a solid arm uh, that if you just monitor his workload uh, can be an effective uh, pitcher for you. Who do you have next? I guess it would be my number four if you take up Brad Hand is Ken Giles, uh, another guy who's rehabbing an injury right now. I think that Ken Giles is actually pretty good. Like I said he's rehabbing an injury, so that's probably why his market isn't taking a long time to develop. But I see Ken Giles. I know a team that's actually been mentioned with him is the Cubs, and I see it a lot like Craig Kimbrell. Uh, big, yeah. hard-throwing guy, right? Hard-throwing. When he can control the strike zone, he's very good out there. And once again, it's maybe a risk because we don't know exactly how that arm's doing right now, but if when it's on, he's very good. I have Shane Green, uh, a solid, uh, just a setup guy. Uh, who, again, throws, uh, has a very good fastball, um, but another one of those that's outperforming his peripherals and has for a, a couple of years. Uh, there are some uh, trending numbers that are giving some scouts pause, uh, but to me all that means is just don't sign into a multi-year deal. Uh, at this point in the year, you're going to be able to get some of these guys that would normally take a multi-year deal, you're going to get on a one-year deal. If you can get someone like Shane Green on a one-year deal, I think I'd be very happy with that. I think that'd be a good signing for a team like the Twins as they look to keep being competitive against the White Sox. I like that fit. I'm actually out of relief pitchers because Brad Hand was my fifth one then. Uh, the only other one I'll mention is just a couple of uh, old guys that are laying around that have still performed well, Mark Melancone uh, and Tyler Clippard. Uh, these are guys that, uh, you know, past prime Classic but, veterans. but uh, know how to pitch and uh, can give you, if you're looking for a seventh or eighth inning uh uh, setup reliever is someone who can handle it and as part of a rotation. Um, still solid pitchers that you can uh, add uh, to your to your team and even to a playoff team. Uh, that'll switch us over to the top 10 hitters. Uh, I have a specific guy at one that I'm uh, a big believer in, uh, and I'm just curious if it's the same one. Who do you got at first? I have JT Robuto. I have Nelson Cruz. Uh, wow. Because I, I believe Ooh, in the bat. Hot take here. I believe in the bat. And again... Uh, if if there is, let's put it this way, he's he's one hundred percent white right to wait out the market because if there is a DH in the National League, he is going to make bank. He will get his two year deal. I'm guessing two years, thirty mil, and the Padres are one of the teams that are lining up for the opportunity. If there is a DH, that bat is the uh, you could 
take a look from George Springer to anyone else who was out there. Whose bat would you rather have than Nelson Cruz in the middle of your lineup? Maybe JT Ramuto? Uh his bat. Yeah, I mean, if for sure. As far as offense is concerned, yeah, Nelson yep. Cruz is I'd maybe Springer, but JT Ramuto's value is partially because he plays catcher, right? The Which offense is the comes most, at a premium position yeah. with the defense with it. Yeah, that that's partially the reason that I, I have if you'd have told me before the the free agency started, there are four like elite level prospects that are available. Trevor Bauer, Rio Muto, Lemayhew, and Springer would have been the four I said. So yep. the only two that are left then are Bauer and Rio Muto from what I would consider like premium elite free agents. And I'm sticking to my prediction of Rio Muto going back to the net, going to the Nationals, even though every, we've heard a little bit of rumor about the Braves, which I don't see I don't that happening. But and the Phillies. So that's that is my what I would consider clear in a way number one free agent hitter. I think real and, and to go off of everything you just said, uh, Real Muto is trying to drive up an ad- additional teams because it's pretty much becoming a two-team race uh, for his services. The to stay with Philly, if the Nationals are fully interested, you have that second team. You're trying to get uh, a market that can do that can live up to a nine-figure salary. That's already limited teams. Uh, and so that's why you're starting to hear the Braves or someone else. That's an agent trying to drum up additional uh, interest in his client. I don't buy it. I think it's a two-team race. Uh, and if the Nationals don't uh, happen, uh, if they decide not to go in on that this year, then I think you're looking at uh, re- a return to Philly. But Nationals make a lot of sense. So he's my number two. Who's your number three? Well, my number two? I'm still on number two here, man. I'm not, yeah. Nelson Cruz is not my two. I have Marcelo Zuna as my two. Uh, Marcelo Zuna should be very happy, and actually Nelson Cruz should be very happy for that deal that Michael Brantley got. Yeah. Because we used, last week we talked about maybe Mar- Marcelo Zuna's market is in developing because of his defense. Well, Michael Brantley at this point is not a stud defender. He's going to play defense because they have Jordan Alvarez, who would be even worse out there with his 24-year-old falling apart knees or whatever he is. Actually, he's not even that old. But anyways, and Marcelo Zuna should have a market at this point. He, he can play a serviceable right field. He's an excellent batter. He put together his best season in 60 games, led the league in RBIs, arguably was the second – not arguably. He was the second-best hitter on the Braves last year behind only yep. MVP Freddie Freeman. There's not a whole lot of talk. There's been some talk about the Yankees and the Mets and Milwaukee actually is possibly being interested in Marcelo Zuna. Uh, Milwaukee's I, dying for any rumors whatsoever, linking yeah. them to anyone decent. So that's a, that's a, already a step in the right direction. Is he your number three? He is my number okay. three. So then I'm on my number three. So I would say there's a clear number one, in my opinion, Rio Muto. And I actually have a Zuna as all in a tier of his own at two. And then I have these next four guys together. So my number three, I actually have Marcus Simeon here. I really like Marcus Simeon. Once again, premium position. Premium position. I've seen the offense be successful before. He was an MVP candidate the previous year. I think he can play second, too. Yep. So agreed. My number three is Marcus Simeon. Uh, The Dodgers at one point were looking at him at third base, even. I think Uh, he could do that. So there's uh, some, I think, that makes sense. He's my number four. So we're we're next on the same same tier. And my number four is where Nelson Cruz shows up. It's all the bat, right? A- absolutely. As far as bats are concerned, Nelson Cruz is arguably the best hitter right up there with George Springer and J.J. Muto. It's just the fact that he is so stuck playing DH, and right now that makes him half marketable to the league, and there are so many teams that have already filled their DH role. I would agree with that. It comes down to you need the quantity of jobs available in order for you to get what you're, you're worth, but... 
Uh, and like I said, I, I do believe if they announce it anywhere in the next couple of weeks, uh, Nelson Cruz to the Padres, I think, is a done deal if you have that in the National League, which I would absolutely love to see. Him and, uh, to, to, to him and Tatis that. would be fun together. Yeah. Uh, uh, for mine at uh, number five, I have Justin Turner. He's coming soon. I have Didi. I have yep. Didi Gregorius. So I, I almost lumped Didi and Marcus Simeon into one player because this, this, what I would consider this tier, these four players, I would consider regular players that I know what I'm getting. There's there's not really a flaw to these guys. I know what I'm getting if I sign Marcus Simeon. Yeah, he had a, a blip 40 games. You know what you're getting with Nelson Cruz. I know what I'm getting with Didi. He's going to be a pretty good defender, and he's going to give me 25 home runs. Again, something out of the shortstop position, uh, well, well worth that uh, – all-around game that you're going to get for him. Uh, I don't have him next. Again, with, with Justin Turner, again, I have the guy who's the still can play the hot corner, premium bat, crushes left-handed pitching. Uh, I think he can be a veteran difference maker uh, for any a playoff contending team, uh, and so that's why I have him there. But again... I, I stepped all over you. Sorry, Justin Turner's my six, actually. That's why I talked about Dini. So Justin Turner would be the last one of the players I consider to be... I know what I'm getting out of Justin Turner. And like you said, everything that you just said. And I still think he goes back to Los Angeles on... We've heard, you know, they could maybe sign Marcus Simeon. They could, who knows, they could trade for someone that is completely caught off guard. But like I told you before we started, they could have made a bigger move for Francisco Lindor, and they didn't. So when I hear Trevor Story's name thrown around, I don't know why. I just don't get it. They already have a great shortstop who's a free agent after this year. Agreed. And I I have DD one more spot down. So uh, only because I have, uh, I, I believe in the bat. Now, again, I'm, I'm just higher on the bat. That's why I have him up here. It's the same thing I did with Nelson Cruz with pushing that up there. But Tommy LaStella, uh, I am a huge Tommy LaStella fan uh, versus uh, like right-handed pitching. Again, he's still somewhat of a, a platoon bat. You can bat him uh, some utility aspect to him. He's not going to overwhelm you uh, on uh, on defense at any one position, but he can at least hold his own. Uh, but his batting eye, if you're looking for a good contact bat uh, at the top leadoff or number, uh, second in the, the lineup, near 400 on, uh, 350 to 400 on base percentage uh, versus right-handed pitching, he is going to do that for you. I think he's very underrated, and there's still some upside in him. Kind of uh, a DJ LeMahieu light. Uh, sure. That's yeah, how he that's was looked at before he went to the uh, to the, the Yankees a couple of years ago. I think he has still some upside uh, Yet to him with that bat, uh, and I'm curious to see what team can unlock it. Yeah, Listella. We talked about Listella. I like Listella. I actually don't have him in my top ten, but yeah, I, I like Listella. Uh, that's the end of my tier. Would be three through six. Simeon, Cruz, Didi, and Turner are the ones I would said would consider to be solid. I know what I'm getting. These next ones all have what I would consider one flaw. This next sure. seven through ten are all going to have one flaw. I have Jackie Bradley Jr. number seven. I know that he's an astoundingly good center fielder. Absolutely incredible in center field. Unbelievable out there. Maybe the best center fielder this side of Byron Buxton. You can make the case for Kiermaier, perhaps. But excellent defense. The bat, it's hot and cold. It runs really hot sometimes, and it runs really cold sometimes. It was pretty hot all of last season, but it's a very short sample again. Now, we've heard the Mets, they missed out on Springer. Could they use Jack Bradley, Jackie Bradley Jr. in center? Absolutely. A lot of teams could. He's going to be, like I said, he's going to be one of the best defenders in the game out there. So There's I just don't only, trust the bat. He's all that's left in the in the center field market. Uh, as far as getting an uh, above-average starter, you could maybe make the case for uh, for Jock Peterson, uh, but he's more bad. corner. Uh, so for me, at seven is Didi Gregorius. So you can you can use your your next guy. 
Oh, my next guy would be another guy. Excellent defender. I don't trust the bat. Andrelton Simmons. Another shortstop. Uh, excellent shortstop. Unbelievable. Maybe the best defensive shortstop we've seen in the last 20 years. I saw someone compare him to Omar Vizquel. That's unbelievable praise. But the bat runs usually. is con- It's consistent, but it's not consistently great, whereas I can get greatness out of Marcus Simeon. But as you want defense, Andrelton Simmons, excellent there. I uh, put two guys together. He was one. Uh I put, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember his first name, a former with the second baseman for the Cardinals. Colton Wong. Colton Wong. Uh, you have two guys who are gold glove caliber defense. Uh, they're going to help you with your up the middle uh, defense that way. Uh, they're going to provide their own uh, uh, added stuff that way, not that much necessarily offensively, uh, but very good contributors uh, to, a, to a team. I think it's just my... St. Louis bias, but I do not have Colton Wong in my top 10, 10 here because I don't like the Cardinals very much. But uh, number nine, I actually have Jack Peterson at number nine. Kyle Schwarber got a nice contract. Jack Peterson and Kyle Schwarber aren't all that different, except Jack Peterson can play a little bit of defense, and he crushes righties. He hits a lot of home runs, and he's a left-handed bat. So we saw what Kyle Schwarber got. Uh, Jack Peterson's market, I would think, is fairly similar. They're not that different of players. Again, another. I know they have uh, outfielders already, but Jock Peterson makes a lot of sense with the Washington Nationals, with uh, Kyle Schwarber with it. It's hard finding room for uh, for some of these guys, but it's that type of uh, a fit there. Uh, I'll be curious to see which team he does go to. Uh, who do you have at uh, number nine? That was my number nine. Okay, then for number ten, I had Adam. Uh, so again, I I, have, I don't have Jackie Bradley Jr. though he's worthy of the top ten, but I had to add. Uh, Yasiel Puig. He's my number uh, as, 12 on as, my top 10 list. As uh, a question mark, uh, we haven't seen him in a little while. Uh, was trending downward. Maybe maybe his career is done. I, I want to see it, though. I want to know for sure. I think he still could be a, a solid pickup for someone. I 11 and 12 are... Puig is 12 on my list, but Puig has all the skill set of a Marcel Azuna, right? We've seen that skill set with him. It's been a while. He's... Uh, interesting character in his own right. You don't always know what you're getting out of him, but the talent is undeniable for Puig. So I, I am fine with that. My number 10 is Eddie Rosario. Once again, I know what I'm getting with Eddie Rosario. Uh, I was surprised that the twins not tendered him, but the market apparently is not there. But once again, it's excellent offense, uh, consistent offense. And the defense is inconsistent, not great, but I, I can't imagine that Eddie Rosario is going to be, have a hard time finding a whole lot of suitors soon. Yeah, there's still, again, a solid amount of uh, above-average uh, hitters uh, available uh, yet this uh, this offseason. And uh, in this list, all the way up and down of everyone that we described, all-stars, gold, go- gold glove winners, silver sluggers, you have very good players still available and at very uh, attainable prices for most of the league. Do you have anybody else? Do we get your top ten? That's it. That's mine. I have one more player. At, actually I actually have him. Has it him and Puig are listed as eleven and twelve on my list. And that's Jonathan VR. Uh, another yeah. interesting skill set. We saw him bounce back to Baltimore that and twenty twenty type of uh, skill set there. He can steal more than twenty. Like it could be like a twenty forty skill set. Like beyond Mondesi, I think he's among the fastest players in the game as long as he can get on base, right? And he can play second. He can play short. We've seen him play center field. Uh, a versatile player who I think he he may end up just going back to Baltimore, but there are a lot of teams who could use what he has to offer and that we, he's not all that different from Jerickson Profar. Perhaps 
the same type of player, and we just saw Profar get a nice contract. He he makes me feel for some reason. It makes me uh, feel like a Kansas City Royals uh, yeah. uh, player, like get a, all the a, speed a better, in the world out a there. A better Billy Hamilton. Oh yeah, uh, better like, than because that's Hamilton. what they tried to do. I, that's your replacement for Billy Hamilton to actually get what you want out of Billy Hamilton. Uh, that would Mondesi, be another interesting VR, one. VR and Whit Merrifield. Yeah, and just wreak havoc in front of Solaire and. Carlos Santana. Yeah, I've said that. That's a team that I'm looking forward to watching because it'd be fun. But yeah, VR would fit cool out. It'd be a fun team. Well, that wraps up our uh, podcast for this week as we uh, covered the the hitters and uh, pitchers that are still available. I'm expecting another type of flurry week the way that we just had. Uh, that's coming there, and that's not counting any potential trades that could be uh, taking place within it as teams try to shape up and ramp up for the spring training that isn't that far away. Uh, we will take a break, not next week, but the week after for uh, Super Bowl uh, Sunday and enjoy that. And then w- from there, we'll probably start our countdown uh, to, uh, uh, well, two things. One, like I said, we eventually will get back to the, uh, uh, we're going to finish up our our GOAT series. We'll get right field and we'll work on pitching. That will be done before the season begins. Uh, so that will be coming up, uh, and we'll go through. I, I think actually what I'm really excited for is relief pitchers of all time. Relief pitchers, you got yeah. this. Now, I, ready? I, I'm, I'm ready for uh, some, some fun okay. names with that. Okay. So we have three of those coming up. We'll have right fielders, we will have a starting pitching, and we'll have uh, uh, relief pitching. But should we break starting pitching up from righties and lefties? Uh, Could do that. I, I think we, we might need that for uh, to give a little it, more room. Otherwise, there. we're going to need more than ten because I don't know if I can get yeah. it down to ten. So yeah, so righties and lefties are fine. So we have four of those to go. That'll take care of the the final portion of the uh, the off season, and then once pitchers and catchers report and we get into spring training, start breaking down we'll, some divisions we'll here do or something. Division previews, and now hopefully by that point we'll know where Trevor Bauer is and who he's been tweeting to, and we'll we'll cover all of that as as time comes up here. So uh, stick around. We'll have more baseball for you. Mm-hmm.